So I'm curious, what are the things that you have taken from this last year that you would never have done before that have actually turned out to be positive and have changed the shape of your future? Welcome to Lockdown Takeaways with me, Emily Hatfield. I am a women's empowerment coach. For this series, I am going to be asking people about their lockdown stories and the positive behaviours, learnings and beliefs that have come from this last year. So I have with me this morning two incredible female entrepreneurs who have set out to create an organisation called The How People, which supports teen girls in their happiness and well-being. I have with me Dr. Jo Watkins, who is a busy homeschooling mum of four and her business partner and equally busy working mother, Polly Crook. Welcome. Hi, Emily. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Lovely to have you. Guys, can I just ask you to take us back to the beginning of lockdown? Very different, isn't it? Yeah, we've got massive, yeah, massively different stories. So during... And continents. And continents, yeah. So we, as a family, have chosen to live life slightly differently since a period of time that we took a year off to go traveling. So since we got back from our travels, we've negotiated um, so a working pattern of having nine months working and three months off. So we were on our first year of doing that. So we were in Canada. We've been there since January and everything was fine up until the sort of beginning of February when people started talking about this new virus and wondering what was going to happen. And we were actually there. So we were supposed to be there until the middle of April and things changed really quickly, uh, which obviously meant that we needed to get home. Um, And it was a really, really odd time for us. We were, we were in one place in Canada and then we were going to Mexico for a week um, towards the end of February. Um, and at that point, people were becoming increasingly concerned about what was going on. But, but it, it still hadn't become something. There was no lockdown in Canada at that point and there was no talk of it. We went off to Mexico for a week and I remember sitting on a plane and there was a woman in the aisle in front of me in full full PPE, wiping down her seat with her gloves and her mask on. I remember one of the kids saying to me, you know, what is that woman doing? And I remember looking at her thinking, like, that's taking it a bit far, isn't it? Like, what on earth is she doing? And the rest of the plane were absolutely fine. This was on the 29th of February. Um, And we went off and we had this amazing week and no one even discussed it. And I remember that, that holiday and that return to Canada from that situation was the last time we ever met a you know met a stranger or was in a we're in a social situation where nobody talked about coronavirus. It wasn't a thing. Got back to Canada and very quickly things changed and the Canadian government were very very quick to shut down the borders to stop travel. Um, the whole of the ski resort that we were staying in shut down in a twenty four hour period about ten days before anything happened in the UK. Meanwhile, in the UK, the Cheltenham Gold Cup was happening. Everybody was going to the Stereophonics concert. Liverpool were playing an enormous match. And I was watching this unfold. And as a, as a medic, at this point, we both realised that this was going to be absolutely enormous. Meanwhile, my phone was going a little bit crazy with obviously family wanting to know what we were going to do, but also friends wanting 
to know what we thought was going to happen. I think that happens when you're in the medical profession and something like this happens. Um, and it just didn't seem like there was much control. You could see that people were coming back from ski holidays and going off to work as physios and teachers, and they weren't being given the advice to isolate. Everything was carrying on as normal. And it was really frightening. So on a personal level for that 10 days, I started feeling anxiety that I've never felt before. I started um, feeling really concerned about my family and what the right thing to do was for them. My, my parents obviously wanted us to get on the first plane home, but my protective mechanism over my family didn't want to go anywhere. And I felt like we were coming back into an absolute um, war, zone. war zone, basically, yeah. And it was really difficult. I found that whole time really, really hard. But also my husband at that point, was coming back to the intensive care unit. So he was he was one of the anaesthetists in the local hospital or is one of the anaesthetists. And essentially, if you're if you were over 50, you stayed as an anaesthetist. And if you were under 50, you went into the intensive care unit and that's where you were working. So he was coming back to that as well. So for us to come home as a 49 year old, as a 49 year old, just under the threshold. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But he was 48 in his defense. Yeah, he was 48. And before we move on to Polly, I'm just really interested to know what, looking back at that time, how did that impact your children, that experience alone of the stress of that 10 days and that journey? Um, I think, I think what I realised is however much you try to hide your, your stress levels and your anxiety levels as a parent, it, it always is going to overspill on, on them. Uh, we tried desperately to have conversations away from them. Um, we tried to, obviously, the practicalities of getting home overtook literally two or three days of being on hold to the, the uh, to get a flight. Um, they saw how difficult that was. They could feel the anxiety, particularly in me, about coming home. You know, Dave knew that he had to come home. There was no, you know, I've got to come home. I've got to work, and I've got to, I've got to come back because I'm needed not you know do you know what I mean like there wasn't a, it wasn't an option to stay um has it made them more resilient yes I mean so so much of stuff uh, we've had various incidents that have happened on our travels that have done nothing but make them understand that things happen and you have to adapt and you have to um think on your feet and this is one of those situations and I hope in retrospect they will look back when they're older and feel that we handled it well but I think at the time I probably wore my heart on a sleeve a bit on a bit too much but they they don't say that now they don't look back and say oh mummy you were crying every morning when we were in Canada you know they just remember us getting on the plane with these ridiculous gloves and they're so pleased you know they look back and they say things like isn't it amazing we took that opportunity to go to Mexico because that was an example of something that we really didn't need to do we were in Canada and we desperately wanted to go to this place. And we said, right, let's just do it. Cause we're never, you know, it's it's on the list of places to go. We're here. When we go to Canada, we, we never end up going down to Central America and South America. Cause obviously we're already in Canada. It's a, but actually we're never, anyway, it was one of those places that we knew we wanted to go to and we just did it. And that's the message that they've taken is like, how lucky were we or how great was it that we managed to get that weekend 
in Baja. We saw all those amazing animals and had those incredible experiences. So I think if that's their take home message, it's, you know, just just do it. You know, don't wait for tomorrow because tomorrow might not be quite as we think it will. So that's such a powerful thing that, you know, it'll be amazing to see how that impacts the rest of their life and what plays out with that message, despite all the stress that was around that, actually, the opportunity is the thing that sounds like it's, they're kind of at the forefront of their mind that they had. Yeah, I think so. And Polly, where, tell us about you. What, what, while Joe was in this crazy sort of transition, what was going on for you back home? Well, it's very unexciting in comparison. <laughs> it's, uh, it, well, there wasn't any, uh, you know, cross-continent juggling to do. Um, and my husband and I do not work in the medical profession. So there was none of that to worry about. Um, what was I doing? Well, I had just left uh, 12 years uh, in, a, in a global sports brand. Um, I just decided that it was time, um, actually partly because of how as well, because I realized that I was in a very, not realized, I always knew I was in a very male dominated world. Um, and I always use that as my kind of fire to stay there and progress and be promoted and do it all better and faster than um, all of the rest of the old boys club that, that was there um, and prove a point because it uh, that brand particularly is incredibly male dominated. So I was just, I turned up and, and that was it. I wasn't going until I'd made my point. Um, so I was working on how I was looking after my two-year-old. My five-year-old was in school. Um, and then it was only, it was a week or so before I think Joey came home and she was just like, it is not worth the risk. Get Rory out of school now because they are closing. And if you, if there is anyone with any case in his class, you're going to have to keep that five-year-old and your two-year-old indoors for two weeks. And you don't want to do that. Like they're not learning anything in school at the moment anyway. Go to the woods. And it was hammering down with rain every single day for this whole week. Well, I was deciding like, is this the right thing to do? Is it not the right thing to do? So I was like, right, so that's it. He came out of school a week earlier than it closed. Um, we actually had a great week. We just got absolutely drenched. I taught him how to build a fire. We made eggy bread. It was really cool. For us, we're in a very different situation with the fact that my kids are young, um, but also I don't have any family around here and neither does my husband. Um, my both my parents died. Dan's dad lives in North Wales. Both my brothers live abroad. So it was this. It's you know we knew it was affecting old people. We knew it wasn't you know that that. So we had this strange little bubble situation where we were like, you know, we don't have the same adjustments to everyone else to make. We don't have to worry about not seeing the grandparents. We don't have to worry about not being able to hug family. So it was quite a weird adjustment for us in the fact that not a huge amount changed. We've always used to being our own little island. So we've never really relied on anyone anyway, um, apart from Joe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then she buggers off to God knows where around the world half the time. So, you know, it's not that reliable. <laughs> um, so I think what other people were worried about wasn't really on our radar. Mm. And all we did was walk in sunshine. So I feel like I had, I really had an amazing opportunity to spend that time with my kids. Is there anything that you um, became aware of as about yourself during that time that yes. 
back. An incredibly bad teacher. <laughs> Unbelievably bad. I'm a, I'm, Me too. <laughs> I'm an awful, awful teacher and I'm an incredibly bad cleaner and like house, house, what are they called? House person, you know, like. Housekeeper. Keeper. Housekeeper. Oh, oh, I'm awful, awful as well. Terrible. Awful. I've got so, uh, I've always said I'd be a really bad teacher and that lockdown really proved that. I've got no patience whatsoever. I've got the same attention span as my children, which is a, a bad thing. Um, but I say that what I what I learned from it is the sitting down and the worksheets and the concentration and all the rest of it that didn't suit me. Whereas we were out and about, and the stuff my kids picked up was just mind blowing. Like the the we would learn to read from reading street signs and looking at numbers and doing maths on house numbers, and that was great. Sitting down and getting him to do a worksheet, it was like World War Three. It was, it, it was awful. And then I would be angry, and he'd be angry, and he'd be sad. And then I'd be like, "What am I doing?" But that's exactly that's exactly why this wasn't homeschooling. Yeah, you know, that's that's not most people who homeschool a five year old and a two year old don't spend an awful lot of time doing worksheets. Mm. In fact. I'd say most of them would spend that much time doing worksheets. But then I felt this slight pressure because yeah. he's the oldest in his year. So then I didn't want him to go back to school, like not be able to write his name and not be able to read anything and all the rest of it. But when you're trying to juggle, done working from home full time, um, trying to get all the stuff done with the kids, amusing a two-year-old at the same time as trying to teach some worksheets and all the rest of it. And you're just like, well, so we, we and you couldn't, uh, for us as well, we forget this. You weren't allowed to go and just, Play on the beach or sit on a beach and all the playgrounds were closed and like we're at the beach every day anyway so during lockdown you suddenly take the the outdoor things that we used to doing and we're lucky where we live we've got cliffs and we've walked and the our kids my kids are really good walkers so that was great but you couldn't even sit and have like a cup of tea on the beach or you couldn't have a picnic with the kids on the beach you'd get moved on you couldn't go in the sea and i love the sea and all of that is, and trying to explain that to a five-year-old, why we can't go to the beach, that that was hard. And so there's two things I just want to ask, you touched upon the patience. I think, you know, I definitely, I'm a mum of three. And during lockdown, like Polly said, I realised so much about myself, about my ability to teach my kids and and my patience levels. Like, I think anybody that went through what we've just been through always thinks, well, how do these homeschooling, <laughs> how do these homeschooling parents do it? Because, you know, we did it for X amount of months and it was hell. That's the point though. What we had is so true that it's not homeschooling. We're all working and trying to manage children at home at the same time, trying to make them happy and not miserable, trying to give them some form of education. You know, it's it, it's not what, I think what it, closer to homeschooling was what I was doing that I felt guilty about, which was just taking them out all the time. It's like, let's go for an adventure. And they oh, yeah. learned so much then, but I still felt the guilt that I should be doing reading. That's and society that, that's put that on you. So, so school, you did schooling at home. That's not homeschooling. So you were trying to replicate a school day. Some schools were like, you know, lessons, nine till 10, 10 till 11, you know, lessons in a school day within your nine till three at home. And the schools were- Whilst having, working, again, that's the problem. Yeah, whilst working. Well, I mean, a lot of homeschooling families have working parents. A lot of people work while they homeschool, but they don't homeschool like that. So there's massive differences and every homeschooled family looks different. 
for some people they follow a strict curriculum and they maybe they don't have working parents or they have parents that do night shifts and you know work during the day sometimes homeschool children learn from three till nine or whatever if they're doing a day because it fits in around the parents but replicating the work of school within a home environment I don't know any homeschoolers that do that. So everyone kept saying to me, oh, I don't know how you do this. And I was like, I don't know how anyone does this. Cause this is like, that was my worst, the worst possible time of homeschooling was that. And the worst thing was that, that the big kids were, the big kids were, were just in their rooms on their computers following instructions. And that's not what anybody does. It's about learning. Like Polly says, my kids have learned maths by counting, you know, even numbers, odd numbers, counting street signs, street, you know, house numbers, reading signs at zoos and museums and parks, you know, all of those things were shut. Yeah. So we didn't do what we would normally do. So actually what you're saying is that homeschooling is all about experiential learning. And what yeah. we were going through, like Polly said, is that all our experiential stuff was being closed down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it wasn't. If you, you know, it's, it's not for everybody, but it didn't look like that. So while this was all going on, you were also busy plugging away at the business, the how people. Can you just explain to us a little bit about the concept and what was going on for you during this time? The concept was really to introduce girls to a series of events and activities that could grow their resilience, their outlook, um, give them opportunities and really look after their well-being while introducing them to a whole another group of people. Well, the How in How People stands for happiness, opportunities and well-being. So we wanted to create a, at the time we knew we wanted, we always had global domination in mind, obviously, um, <laughs> but we but we started locally and, and we kept saying that whole first year, well, it's a pilot, it's mm. a pilot. And we keep trying different things and we both love being outdoors we love sport we love trying new things we love community um and when we put this course together it was all around happiness opportunities and well-being how can we increase teenage girls happiness how can we help them create make take opportunities and how can we get them to have a bit more understanding about their own well-being how to look after it um, and how to, to be really aware of it. Um, so the course came first and that was, again, people, it was people from around here that knew us, mm. didn't really know what we were gonna do, but knew that we'd do something cool. So then they thought, right, cool. My, uh, my daughter in year six, because it was year six only, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, is gonna go for it. And it was all, we wanted to make sure that it wasn't just from one school. We wanted to make sure that we were, um, splitting the spaces of these 16 spaces across the different schools. So then hopefully when they're going to be then moving on to meet in the, the big secondary school around here, they will have already met each other during the summer. It's quite nice to make new friendships. Um, you know, it can be quite cliquey and group based at that age as well, especially when the only people you know really are the ones in your class in school. So it's opening up those opportunities to meet new people and try new things. We did a residential at the end of the six week course and one night away and we the two days action-packed really just fueled um and they were amazing weren't they mm. um and part of that day was to go surfing with this bit of a local legend 
She'll love this. Um, she was uh, ex-British champion. She's an uh, Olympic surf coach for Team GB. Um, she's just a feisty character. She's a lot of fun and she's a great role model. So the girls just, and she's also a child trapped in a grown-up's body. Yep. So the girls just absolutely, the girls loved her straight away. So as soon as um, the opportunity to do something else with Gwen happened, then they jumped at it. And then out of nowhere, because um, surfing is such a, it's quite an insular community. It's quite hard to get into because you, it's hard to be a, a beginner in the sport, especially as a girl, I think. Um, so as soon as they met Gwen, they were like, right, great, let's, blocks and barriers and let's just like try this and out of what a few weeks we ended up having 80 girls wanting to surf regularly who weren't either were just surfing with their dad or, or hadn't surfed before and then this really open community of fun and inclusivity and joy formed so much so that we didn't know what to do with it we were like we can't we have there's only two of us and we've got so much plans and we ah but you can't say no when you've got a bunch of girls wanting to get into sport and the outdoors and trying something new. And there was such a moment where we, I looked at, there was all of the girls on one of these sessions on one wave on a really sunny day, completely different levels as well. And all of them managed to stand up. And I remember that was, it'll be something I remember for the rest of my life. And they were all cheering each other on. And they were, it was just such an amazing, positive moment. And that's what has happened through pretty much everything we've done in how is that we've tried to teach the girls or we've put them in touch with and connecting them to role models who teach them that, you know, it's all about collaboration and not competition. It's all about being passionate and supporting each other and being really positive and how, how what amazing things can happen off the back of supporting each other. Um, so that's when things we were like, right, great. It's all about role models. Let's do a talks night. And then we had these four amazing role models coming to tell their life story, but they had 10 minutes against the clock. The room was on fire. The girls were absolutely loving it. They had a lot of sweets. That's when we knew that that's what, that's what worked. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, I think, you're right. I think Gwen introduced us to the concept of the role model and we saw how much they lit up with somebody that bit younger and a little bit more, um, on cool. their level, a bit cooler and than cool. Us. Yes, <laughs> Holly used to be cool, and now she's not cool anymore. Yeah. So yeah. we had to we had to have a younger model. So that I talks, myself. <laughs> that talks night was just brilliant. So that's when we thought, right, okay, we've got something here because we didn't want to. We you know we we wanted to help locally, but we wanted to help more further afield than that. So we thought, right, okay, we'll take this talks night and we'll do it in Bristol, we'll do it in Bath, we'll do it in London, we'll go to places where we know a couple of people and we'll book a venue, book some speakers and go for it. And that's what we'd spent our winter working on. So January, February, March was all about growth, about getting a website. We didn't have a website. We didn't have any kind of much online presence at that time. This is January, February, March, pre-lockdown. So during that three months when I was in Canada, my job was to come up with a website and an online course element to start us off with, because we talked in the background about having an online course. Um, so we had this idea for an online course, plus we had four venues, we booked the venues, we got speakers, we started selling, one of them had nearly sold out. So we had these events booked for April, and then the plan was to come back in the middle of April do like a series of talks around or down the M4 corridor and then grow potentially a franchise model. That was the plan at the time to start the talks night. So to come to Bristol, do a talks night, 
become established in Bristol and then find the young role models in Bristol to take girls biking, surf, um, climbing, you know, do the outdoor stuff in Bristol that you can do. And also, we, so that we, was the way we, we, always, we always accidentally focus on non-traditional sports as well. Yes, oh yeah, non, so individual, non-traditional sports that you wouldn't get covered at school. But also, you know, photography or filmmaking or just like slightly different stuff. And so our plan, you know, Bristol's a really good example. I know that's where you're, you are, but we've got some contacts there, but not loads. So that would have been one of our hubs. So we were going to grow a franchise like model at that point and then we were looking we probably had online online about 12 months later that was the plan so yeah. with um a global pandemic then obviously what changed it was really hard in april when we had done so much work in organizing and i'd been out to see all the venues and um we'd done so much advertising and marketing and so much work to to take this next step so all the surf lessons were pre-booked and they were ready to go we had mountain biking days booked we had nights at the local um we've got a local independent cinema they were booked we had film nights booked there we had the talks nights were all booked so everything was it was exciting it was like it was going to be 2020 was going to be our year of like the buzz the building it um, and then, and then April, and that was it. Like we just, I remember going on Eventbrite and looking at our then beginning of our website and just pressing cancel, 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 cancel. And it was just heartbreaking. But Joe and I had a conversation and we were like, right, well, look, we can't go ahead with any of these. And obviously Joe's got a head screwed on a little bit more than me. And I was still a little bit like, we can do some of them. We can try and do some of them. And then that it was, that was. I remember that. I remember just saying, Polly, this is serious. And you were like, oh, why don't we wait for another week and see what happens? Yeah. Like, nope. No, cancel it. Cancel We're, the whole lot. Let's done. not, let's give people some time to, and you know, it's the right thing to do is to cancel. And, yeah. Um, and then, and then that was it. And Joe was like, right, let's, let's have a breather. Let's have a week. Let's have a think. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, we just need to just, stop for a minute which is something that both of us are incredibly bad at um and then I think it was I don't actually think it was 24 hours it was a couple of days because I just got back from Canada so we cancelled stuff when I was in Canada I got home and then we talked about things and then it was the 9th of April so it was a week it was a week and then suddenly I get the phone call going I've I've got a plan (laughs) I was like oh god I'm going to be tired, aren't I? <laughs> so what if we took the talks night online? What if we did a series for charity and all of the money that we raise will go to the NHS? What if we do some sessions at lunchtime because parents are looking for engaging stuff for their kids to sit in front of? What if we do some at seven o'clock, um, you know, for maybe some of the older kids? What if we speak to some really cool and different role models who are also either furloughed or you know whatever they're doing in life whether they're sporting everything's cancelled let's take this opportunity to tell cool stories and get them in front of really like moldable minds um and before we do it we had we had a series (laughs) Um, and actually, the incredible thing was we paired with a, a, a South Wales company called the Goodwash Company, 
Um, and all of the money we raised went directly to do care packs to center frontline NHS staff. So we ended up with 1800 pounds um, directly to NHS uh, from the back of the, the webinars that we put on. And we had such cool people. We had like a couple of Olympians. We had a soil scientist, we had a comedian. Well, who else did we have in that first? Carl Major. So uh, a, a record-breaking paddleboarder or a world record-breaking sailor. Anyone we asked said the yes, vet, basically. Yeah, everyone was like, this is a great idea. Of course I'll tell my story about yeah. who I am. And that's where we, that's our, our question was, uh, the how question, which has been for years now, is what would your advice be to your teenage self? So we asked all of our guests what this advice would be. And some of the advice has just been, like profound and brilliant and hilarious and like one of the someone said never shave your arms one, one of them said leave your eyebrows alone and don't cut your own hair whereas some of them were like just know that you are good enough exactly as you are and you know there's so many brilliant pieces of advice that came out of that mm. and then as soon as the last one was over that was it the the email started ping 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 what else are you going to do? When is there going to be more? What else can I sign my daughter up to? How um, how is this only a short term thing? How uh, how what what's coming next? Mm. That was a, that was the interesting time because in in a way that first lot of webinars was relatively easy because people were looking for things to do and the and the girls or teenagers weren't doing very much so it was quite easy to match together. I think the difficult came the difficult decision came after that. Um, and obviously we were knackered. We'd like gone hell for leather. We all, we've got young families of our own. We'd put everything into it. And the temptation then was to stop. And I think this is, you know, there's a lot, hopefully there's lots of female led business owners out there. And I know you yourself, Emily, with a young family will have felt this. And I think you need to sometimes act with momentum. And if there's something that's going well, and if somebody is telling you and the emails are coming in and the, the interest level is there, you can't just sit and like watch it just disappear. Because actually, if you don't act on it, then it, the, the, that will go and somebody else will come along and do something similar. You know, what we're doing is, is repeatable. It's not, we're not, we haven't created something completely unique. There's lots of similar outfits all over the world, but the two of us together, I think the combination of our skills, you know, we're very similar. We have a, we have a lot of similarities and we have an absolute laugh running this together, but we are so different in our, in, in so many different ways. My handwriting is legible. For Your handwriting is legible. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I make better tea. Oh no. oh no, you don't. So, so, you know, we are so different. We're 10 years apart. You know, you know we're, we we shouldn't really be friends. We've, we would have never even been at the same school together. You know, there's there's so many stories about why we met and why we're friends. But it came to momentum at that point, and it was like, have we got the energy to make this something? Let's go for it. And at that point, for anyone in the online world, um, will understand that often with online businesses you start with courses so we were all looking to we were looking towards starting a course we'd written a basic course um and it was kind of ready to go but at that point i remember one night just not sleeping thinking we've built a community here we've built girls that need us to turn up every week we've built something that it looks more like a membership than a course now um, and it's quite unusual to start a membership when you haven't really got an email list. You know, normally you need an email list of people that are relatively engaged in stuff you've done to be able to offer something every week.
but we thought you know there was just something about this that was us turning up live once a week rather than us writing a load of stuff and doing a recorded course so we just went for it we did what's called a founding members launch we did a super low price for a lifetime of access and we got our first sort of we had about 35 paying founding members and then we had about 15 friends and family that came along as well i think you're doing it i think it was not we should really know our numbers but it was about you know it was roughly around the 50 mark that we had of girls that were willing to come week on week and then we've created it with them so rather than having a load of content and then having people to deliver it to we got the people and then we've created and tweaked and changed and adapted and listened and got feedback and thrown everything at it and yeah, like to look ask, at as what it is now. Ask the girls. Like yes. That's the thing, is, is actually spending time with them. And we always say, like, what, what do you want more of, girls? What do you want less of? What do you love? What do you hate? Be brutal, be honest. Who do you want us to find? Although someone did want an astronaut last mm. week, so it's going to be mm. fun to find. Someone also wants Bethany Hamilton. So I don't know if we're going to manage her. But how big is the, is the membership now? What numbers are you talking about now? About 80 now. OK. So we've, we've lost and gained and lost and gained, but we've done this really organically. And this is again, a, a something that lots of people will come across that whole organic growth only can go so far. You know, you we're, we're learning all about Facebook advertising. We want to team up with businesses and schools. We want to be able to provide this on a bigger scale to people. But every step that you take it takes time and that's when you're not homeschooling and have two young children and a job and another job so we're just you know if we had five days a week between nine and five I don't know what we'd be able to do because we're doing all this on you know so little time well I guess I mean I, I I know you commented on one of my social media posts about boundaries personal boundaries when you're you know when you work for yourself and you have a family that there has to be a point where you say I can only do as much as I can do today and still be happy and present and balanced in mind there has to be a cutoff doesn't there um but what I'm in really interested to know is with everything that's come out from the pandemic about uh, you know mental health what do you think um, particularly in teenagers and young adults, what do you think um, the How People membership can bring to um, young adults with what you offer them? Awareness, like a community, a kind, inclusive community, an open, an open space, open forum. Like the the watching the chat box on a Thursday is just amazing. They are none of them know each other. They're all from all over the world. Um, that they've and, and and being able to like we we decide sometimes we've got speakers and sometimes it's us talking about topics um and we don't shy away from um from any topic really um and then we always ask the parents as well but but from a mental health perspective the uk is so far behind in understanding and addressing mental health like we, we said you know we've had discussions with many many people and and that it's the assumption that you hear the words mental health and you think mental illness you know there's negative connotation still associated in the uk which is unbelievable um mental health is something that we should all look after and spend more time and focus on um and and looking after our well-being 
I think as a teenager, uh, we, it wasn't talked about when we were kids, but as teenagers now, it's something that we can put in front of them, these topics of, you know, friendship and barriers and and positivity and and the things that you can do to help yourself and the things that you are allowed to step away from and, and having that openly discussed forum where the girls can ask any questions, you know, some of those things you just don't really want to talk to mum about, do you? I think that's or it. Or your mates, you know, you want someone else that you can that you can chat to. And the girls have, a lot of the girls have found that in each other as well. Yeah. They've all set up, there's been like an Instagram group set up with some of them that have all got their own little businesses. And like Polly says, they're pinging in the chat box while we're talking sometimes. And actually, I think, I know it's a bit of a cheesy thing, but I think we are holding space. We're holding a safe space for them to come that isn't their parents. Yeah. And it isn't like, school and it's not homework. Absolutely. Like who listens to their mum? At the end of the day, yeah. if their mum has got something to say and you're a teenager, you're like, oh yeah, whatever mum. Whereas if someone else's mum says it to you or someone like another adult or another, you know, these cool role models that are coming in, you know, for example, we've had Gwen on a call before. And then if Gwen would say like, oh, I, I love doing that. Then all the girls are like, okay, I love it too. Yeah. You know, it's it's being able to to talk about stuff and being being able to give them that, that yeah, like safe and open space to, mm. to sit and listen to opinions and to, to, to communicate with each other and to ask questions and to to learn, but in a different way, you know. And it and the fact that it's something different every week, you know. One week we're doing, Joey and I will take over and we'll do like ridiculous games week where you know you've got something stuck to your forehead or you're doing like a silly game and and it's fun and it's silly. Um, whereas we've then had, um, you know, we had a vet last week who came and told us all about. Um, you know her, her life as a vet and her training and what she wanted to be when she was younger and then the girls are like what's the weirdest animal you've ever seen what are you scared of and you know being able to ask these people that they would never normally come into contact with direct questions like what were you scared of when you were little you know or, or are you ever worried about so a lot of these questions come out in in different ways Another thing that we've definitely been, which I think is one of the things that I've struggled with during lockdown, and I'm sure a lot of people relate to, is is uncertainty. I'm such a planner. I'm so, like I'm kind of like three years of plans in my head all the time, and we haven't been able to plan anything. We haven't been able to organise anything, and I think uncertainty is a really difficult thing that humans struggle with. But we've offered an element of certainty despite all of this last weird year. Every Thursday, bar about two we've been there between seven and eight, whether they're at school, not at school, mum's at work, dad's at work, whatever. I don't even think it's been bad too. I've maybe bar one at Christmas, but but we're there every seven o'clock, seven o'clock on a Thursday. And that's just, that's now how time and that's what it is. We always say to the girls, don't forget, we will stay on the call for five, 10 minutes at the end. If anyone's got anything to tell us or if they want to talk to us about anything or share something amazing that's happened or share anything, then we are here. So it's this, they get this, hour with everyone with like fun and learning and interaction and and news and and whatever um but they also get that that safety net to know that if they want to talk to us about anything then they've got that you know we don't pretend to be any sort of professional outfit in front of people we can't do serious very well very often um so when we're on the call with the girls, you know, we always refer to ourselves as either like the two I get, I get a very hard time. Anton Deck or whatever. And, it, and it's just fun and a bit of silly. And, and having those adults in your life that are a bit silly um, <laughs> is quite nice. 
So, you know, I'll, I do I do make fun of Joe quite a lot. I think what you said there about holding space, uh, you know, I think that really stands out for me as something that seems to be so important for people now, whether you're a teenager or whether you're an adult. But, I mean, I think it's something that actually to have people show up, people, as you say, like role models and uh, the people that aren't your family is yeah. so powerful to people that will say I'm here and I've got time and I will listen but I also love the fact that what came up for me just then listening to you is that actually you're really humanizing um careers for them which listening to those stories of you know whoever they are the vets good luck with the astronaut one but you know that's really humanizing those and I think that's something I never got and I always think you know if I had known what it really took to actually be in that profession or how perhaps there was a back door in and you know it's something I really try and teach my kids that you always have choices yes yeah and I think that's the really important thing as well is that wherever you fit in life whether you're traditionally academic and find school really easy or whether you don't it's having that community as well where people will be like and I'm I'm the first to say and first to be really honest about the fact I really struggled in school but no one would know that of me as an adult and especially not in the fact that my career has really been in strategy um, and business and I actually left school with three GCSEs because I was dyslexic or I'm dyslexic and I really struggled in school but being able to say that to a bunch of teenage girls who are either you know absolutely nailing school or really struggling for those ones to hear that I struggled with self-confidence when I was a teenager and I left school with three GCSEs and then they see me as someone that's become like successful and adulting you know and actually that pathway is sometimes like this and being able to to show them that there is not just a straight line pathway in life it's very rare that you will you know find that route without any wobbles in the path and putting them in front of so many different role models that have got so many different stories to tell about what they wanted to be when they grew up, what they became when they grew up, how they got there, what, how the path that got them there wind, like was windy and sometimes bumpy. And I think the really important thing is that we've always said, when you're that age, your, your influences are, are really around you. So you know what your parents do and you know your parents' friends, you know, and what their careers are, but you don't hear about everyone else and how they got there. Um, so, you know, for me, how do you become a doctor? I, I don't know, my parents weren't doctors. Um, so I, I never really had that understanding of it when I was a teenager. Also, I was never going to be a doctor if I can't do maths, failed all my sciences. And <laughs> a good doctor. Yeah, an excellent doctor. A, the bed, a, a surgeon, bedside manner yes. of a surgeon, I think. Cardiac surgeon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, but knowing that, like, being yourself and finding your own way is the most important thing you can do because it's not all about the exams that you pass in life that get you to where you are. Not saying that exams aren't important and that you should always try really, really hard to, to do as well as you possibly can. But for me, I felt like I was written off at 16 because I left school and that was, that was it. And then suddenly I found this role model when I was, when I was in college I found this amazing person who completely believed in me and told me that I could do something when I felt like I couldn't. And that set me through to being able to research GCSEs, do A-levels, go to university, all this stuff that I didn't think I could do because somebody from outside of my family told me I could do it. 
So for these girls hearing that, you know, I struggled with self-confidence because of feeling like I wasn't the academic one and that I wasn't going to do very well, inverted commas, but I tried really hard, which was the really important part because that's all you can ask for in life. And that you find your own way in life through experience and through connections and through communication. Um, so I think that's, it's something that we always try and teach the girls is it's, you can't compare, well, you try not to compare yourself to others. Compare wisely. You are, you are you and mm. you are brilliant and you find your brilliant things and you follow them and you follow passion and you listen to other people and you find connections and you become the adult version of your teenage self. And I think, I think that's something that we like, whether, again, whether you're a teenager or an adult, I think you know, we all need to remember that. Everyone's got their own unique fingerprint. And I think it's really easy to get bamboozled with what's going on around you all the time and to forget your own uniqueness and how brilliant that is and the importance of not trying to compare yourself. Yeah. And what you need to do- Self-care as well is would you speak to your friend the way you speak to yourself? And the answer is always no. Absolutely. How do you think um, this pandemic has shaped the future of the how people? It's hard because we always had a plan to be digital. So we, it's definitely brought things forward. Um, it's, it's, it's taken us into a digital space before we had planned to, but that's great. Um, I think it's opened a few more people's minds as to how much you can learn online. You know, how you can, it doesn't have to be traditional, um, you know, after school clubs or whatever that might be. You can try something new and try something different um, and, and giving something a go. Um, I think that has been a big, a big thing for yeah, us. Yes, definitely. I think it has, it has definitely probably moved us on a year, I think. So individually, to, as we sort of wrap this up now, I just want to ask you, what do you think your biggest takeaways have been personally or professionally or both from this last year? For me, professionally, it's made me realise that this is exactly what I want to be doing and what I was put on this world to do, organise, connect and grow an online business. That is, for the first time, I found exactly what I need to be doing in life. And working with this one is something that I always wanted to do and I always knew would work and it has worked, I think, hasn't it? Most of apart time. from your tea making skills. Yeah, apart from your tea. Pretty poor. Um, and that's what I love to be, that's professionally, I feel like I'm in my place. I just, um, just want it to work out. And sometimes I want it to work out too much and maybe that's a, a take home. On a personal level, I've actually probably struggled more during lockdown than most people have because I think our independence in a way was taken away felt felt like it was taken away from us as opposed to given to us because we worked out quite a long time ago that actually you don't need stuff and you can learn without school and you know I feel a little bit like we've been taken back a few steps but I'm trying not to you know I'm trying to focus on the positives and the, we're very lucky with where we live and we're very lucky with what we've been able to do during lockdown we're incredibly blessed and it's made me realize how much I miss my friends and you know my most of my best friends from old don't live anywhere near us and I've missed friends and family and you you realize how precious things like 
driving down the M4 to meet up with somebody for a night, you know, and get together, how precious those times are because you can't do them. Um, so yeah, those are my take homes, I think. Um, what are my take homes? Um, that I definitely made the right choice in not becoming a teacher. That is a key take home for me. Um, and I feel very grateful. Um, I feel very, very grateful of um, living connected to so much outdoors, um, to having very resilient children, to have not been personally affected by the shitstorm of a year that we've had. Um, obviously, I've been affected, but not health-wise. Um, and then the same with, you know, not not having to support friends really um, that have been affected. I mean, there's, there's been some absolutely hideous things that have happened in in the last few years. Um, but that's comes out for me in like positivity and gratitude. Um, I feel like, um, I don't know, you know, you, it's like the t taking things for granted. We're the same, like a lot of our friends live up north so we haven't seen them for a really long time. There's been babies born that I haven't seen. My brother, my, both my brothers live abroad, so I haven't seen them for over a year. My, one of my brothers has not only his wife has been pregnant during that, but she's had twins since I last saw her. So I've got little nieces that I have never met. Um, so take home for me is I have definitely become a lot more grateful for what we have on our doorstep. Um, and professionally, um, I've never been more um, sure that I made the right decision to, to, to leave the career that I knew I'd kind of come to an end with. Um, apart from, again, the poor tea making skills, which will be addressed, um, could not imagine working with anyone else uh, in the way that I work with Jo. Um, and I'm also working with a sport for de development charity. So it's amazing seeing what's happening in the, in the other areas and what's happened in lockdown, um, which again, makes me even more grateful. Um, so yeah, gratitude and a, and a pretty nifty best mate business partner is my take homes. And what have you, what, what would you like to say to anyone listening that's interested in the how people, like how do they get in touch? What do they need to do? They need to follow us on Instagram, The How People, um, on Instagram and Facebook. And then our website is www.thehowpeople.com. And we're going to be running... And LinkedIn. I always forget LinkedIn. Such a medic. <laughs> and we, um, we're going to be running events and workshops towards the end of the summer, probably before the, people come in. Sign up to the newsletter. And then the membership will be open at the end of October. But yeah, the newsletter is probably the best thing to keep in touch. And just don't overthink it. It's a great laugh. It is a great laugh. But I would say to anyone that's got an idea that they're not sure about doing, I think what we demonstrated is that sometimes you've just got to do and to get something out. And I've a, a, a business mentor of ours, Dave Hyatt from the Do Lectures, he says, uh, be scrappy. And I think, you know, everybody sits there waiting for it to be perfect. I can't get this out. I can't get that out. What will people think? It's not right. It's not perfect. Get out of your own way. Put something out there, even if it's it's not what you think it's going to be and see how it goes. Um, that would be my business advice to anybody out there. Um, thank you so much, guys. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Oh, thanks, Emily. We'll come and see you in Bristol soon.